Thank you for listening to the Conform to Christ podcast, where we seek to engage the mind, affect the heart, and call people to follow Christ. I'm Jay Jones, and I'm here with a text-driven Tuesday with George Mays. George, it is such a sleepy day. It is, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. No, you, I, was t- I was telling you before before we started, this is going to be the NPR version of the podcast. Thank you for listening today to the Conform to Christ podcast. Today we're talking Melchizedekian priesthoods. <laughs> yeah, it's exactly. so it's all rainy and dark, and yep. I don't think either one of us got a good night's sleep. So we'll try to let you be energized by the text. How about I, that? I didn't get my coffee this morning. Oh no! Let me go make you make you cup real quick. No, nah, it's all right. It's all right. I can. Uh, I can throw you a softball question and get you talking and run out <laughs> and go make a cup of coffee and run back, be back by the time you're done. No, that's all right. Okay. With how tired I am this morning, I'm afraid I'd run out of things to say before <laughs> you got back. <laughs> oh, man. Well, if, you, if you're here for Text Driven Tuesday, thanks for coming back. We are in Hebrews chapter 7, and we're talking about everyone's favorite old school priest, Melchizedek. Yeah, we're getting into it. <laughs> well, I, I, I don't, I don't know how familiar people are with they're the not. story of Melchizedek. No, and they're not. It, his name has popped up several times um, yeah. in chapter five, chapter six, um, and now he's actually going to get into it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, here's what I think would be good. Let's have you read the text, and then I think it would be really beneficial for the people listening. Tell the story mm. of Genesis chapter 14. Okay. I liked how you did that. You just kind of told the story. Hey, mm. here's these kings. Mm. But I want you to really Lord of the, Lord of the Rings it up for us. Because <laughs> we're tired. <laughs> All right. Okay, tell us the story of the Battle of the Plains. All right. I'll tell That's what I'll call it. The Battle of the Plains. Yeah. Okay. But first, got to read well, chapter right. 7 of Hebrews. I'll, I'll read it off the screen. Okay. Okay. We're reading, uh, we're reading Hebrews chapter 7, verses 1 through 10. It says, for this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the most high God, met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. And to him, Abraham apportioned a tenth part of everything. He is first, by translation of his name, king of righteousness. And then he is also king of Salem, that is, king of peace. He is without father or mother or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but resembling the son of God, he continues a priest forever. See how great this man was to whom Abraham the patriarch gave a tenth of the spoils. And those descendants of Levi who received the priestly office have a commandment in the law to take tithes from the people, that is, from their brothers, though these also are descended from Abraham. But this man, who does not have his descent from them, received tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. It is beyond dispute that the inferior is blessed by the superior." There we go. Scroll up. (laughs) In the one case, tithes are received by mortal men, but in the other case, by one of whom it is testified that he lives. One might even say that Levi himself, who receives tithes, paid tithes through Abraham, for he was still in the loins of his ancestor when Melchizedek met him. You're really, uh, you're really testing was, me there. I was you? touching the corner and it wasn't scrolling. I was like, "What's going on?" As I was touching too far over in the corner. Yeah. So, all right. Well, you, uh, 
you have kind of three three points. There's the point of the story in general, which mm-hmm. it'll be helpful if you just tell us the story. Um, because we're like people probably who is Melchizedek, and then right. the main kind of body was five ways Melchizedek points us to Jesus. Mm-hmm. And then the third point, you put it all together. So let's jump into the story first and just kind of tell the story. Okay. Um, like we read, like if you just start reading your Bible as a new Christian and you just start in the New Testament, you're going to be like, who is Melchizedek? Yeah, <laughs> right. Like who is this person? Yeah, he was, uh, this story was, um, it was important to Jewish theologians. They they were discussing this story in their writings before the New Testament, mm. um, but we we don't know this story very well, right? Um, it, it's tucked. It's t- you know you got Genesis twelve where God first calls Abram, you got chapter fifteen where God promises Abraham, uh, you know Abram, your descendants will be like the stars of the sky. Um, Abraham believes God and it's counted to him as righteousness. You got these big stories, and then in the middle you've got this story that has a bunch of hard names. Um, it's not really that, like, what's the importance of this? Why is this included? Is it just historical facts? Is it just entertainment? What What's going on? And so we just kind of forget it. Uh-huh. Uh, Melchizedek, he only shows up for three verses. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, it's, I think that we often, my, my intro was like highway hypnosis. You ever had highway hypnosis, uh-huh. Jay? You're just driving and you just kind of zone out and you arrive at your destination. You're yeah. Like, oh, you're like, no, you're like, 30 like two hours. Yeah. <laughs> Here I am. <laughs> right. And we do that. We do that when we read also. Um, there's been plenty of times that I've been reading a book and I stop and I think, I've been I, reading for yeah. like 20 minutes and I have no idea what I've right. been reading. Yeah. You go through the motions and but your mind is just gone. That, that's, I think we do that with the Bible also. And yeah. I, th- I think that um, this is a good test case for that. Uh-huh. Um, so, so you read it. You read it yesterday for yeah. our scripture reading. You did a yeah. good job. Uh, thank There's you. a lot of hard names in here. There's a lot. Yeah. Um, if what's, what's difficult is I looked at several Genesis commentaries, and they're not really sure who these people are were mm-hmm. like they they don't have like some of the kings in here are there's other historical records that help to, yeah. to kind of fill in the blanks they're not really sure who these guys are it's because abraham wiped them out that's probably true he chased them away <laughs> yeah they're all gone um so we'll uh we'll walk through so this is in genesis 14 mm-hmm. so it's helpful before you read genesis or hebrew 7 it's it's good if you go back and you you read Genesis 14 because the author of Hebrews in verses one and two, he just assumes that his audience knows the story. Mm-hmm. So if you don't know the story, go back and, and mm-hmm. read it. So that, well, we'll walk through it. Okay. All right. Um, so before we get to Genesis 14, we have to remember Genesis 13. Mm-hmm. This is where Abram and Lot, they have to separate. Yeah. Their, their herds have become too large. Um, they can't stay in the same place. So Abram tells Lot, you, you, Pick out wherever you want in the land. You you go in the direction that you want to go, and I'll go in the opposite direction. So Lot looks out over the the southern area of the land of Canaan. This would be um, south of the Dead Sea, and he say, he sees that it's like the Garden of the Lord. Huh. Um, so it's like Eden. Mm-hmm. So he goes that direction. Abraham turns and he goes the other direction. 
Um, so that's where we'll find them in Genesis 14. Lot is in the south. Abram is, he's not, he's up towards Bethany, uh-huh. which is, I believe, a little bit outside of, of Jerusalem. Uh-huh. Um, the problem is that Lot decides that he's going to go and live by Sodom. Yeah. So that's that's going to play into uh-huh. Genesis chapter 14. All right. So we don't know how long um, after this this these events of, of chapter 13, but in chapter 14, we're introduced to um, four kings. Um, and they're given in, uh, it's interesting, they're given in alphabetical order, uh-huh. but uh, um he is the head uh-huh. of this coalition. He has the one ring. I guess so. I mean, he's the he's the top guy, yeah. uh, the top uh, top dog. He's he is king of Elam, which is um, it's on the east side of the Persian Gulf. It's in Iraq, uh-huh. um, and he's got three kings that are his allies. Okay, um, and they're kind of spread out. So this is kind of this big. I don't know if you'd call it an empire, but it's it's a, a large area. Uh-huh. I think some of them are down to the south in like Saudi Arabia, and and some are a little to the north. They have um, infiltrated into Canaan, and they have made um, five kings in the southern area their vassals. Mm. So they have to pay tribute to them. So you've got um, the king of Sodom, Gomorrah. Um, you've got the king of uh, Adma, Zeboim, and Bela, which is tribute. later called Zoar, which is where um, Lot flees um, in chapter 19. Um, anyway, so for 12 years... Cato uh, Laomer and his three allies, these four kings, have have forced these five kings to pay tribute. In the thirteenth year, they've had enough, and so they rebel. So Cato Laomer and his three his three allies, they form this army, and they I imagine that they would go over me, through Mesopotamia, the the Fertile Crescent, yeah. and go down. Down. Um, so they'd start in the north of Canaan. They'd they'd head south. And on the way, they're just stomping everybody in their path. Um, and there's a lot of, there's more names. There's mm-hmm. more hard names. And people, um, they probably just skip over these names. But the names are important because it really highlights how powerful um, Cato Lamart is. Um, so it says he defeated the Rephaim, the Zuzim, the Emim, and the Horites. And people read those and are like, I have no idea. And mm-hmm. we're usually not very good students of the Bible, so we just keep going. <laughs> we don't stop and think, oh, who are these people? Um, it's believed that all four of these people groups are giants. Mm-hmm. Um, the Rephaim <clears throat> are definitely giants. The Zuzim are, and the Emim are, are cons- they're, they're thought to have been giants. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Horites, it's not quite as certain, but uh, they're usually, in stuff I've read, they're, they're usually all clumped together. So, Cato Laomer and his army are they're giant killers. Mm-hmm. So they're they're going through the land of Canaan killing giants. So they're a formidable yeah. uh, army, mm-hmm. right? These are not the guys that you want to mess with. But uh, the kings of the south, they do their math. We're five, there's four. We've got more, so they go out to fight. Um, it says that they go out to the Valley of Sedim and it's filled with uh, tar pits. And uh, I don't know, like we're not given all the, uh, all the, you know, the details, but they're falling into the tar pits. Yeah. <laughs> so Cato Laramere and his, uh, his giant killing army, they defeat these five kings of the south and they carry away the spoils of war, uh-huh. um, including 
Lot, who, who lives outside of the city of Sodom. So they carry them off. A survivor uh, shows up uh, at uh, Abram's home. Abram is, um, he's outside the Oaks of Mamre. Um, and it's probably, he probably goes to Abram because Abram is, um, he's probably famous. He's probably powerful. He's probably rich. Um, I think we often have this picture of Abram and Sarai in a couple of tents and they're, mm-hmm. they're just by themselves. There might be like a servant. Um, but we're told that Abram has 318 trained men. So he's got a bunch of servants. Um, he's a powerful man and he has his own allies. He's got Mamre, he's got um, Eshkol, and he's got Anir. And so they gather up their forces and they go after Cato Um So again, it's um, you've, you've got another battle. Mm-hmm. And this time, Abram defeats Cato Lamer and he actually chases him north out of the promised land, actually north of Damascus, which is in Syria. Mm-hmm. Um, he gets all the spoils, including Lot, and he brings them back south. And then we get to the passage that is most important for Hebrews chapter seven, uh-huh. which is he comes back um, to the Valley of Shaveh, which is called the King's Valley. And all of my studies show that this is outside of Salem. Um, and Psalm 72 verse six identifies Salem as Jerusalem. Uh-huh. Um, so, Jerusalem is I think I I think I got that wrong. 76 verse 2. Psalm okay. 76 verse 2. So they go to this valley outside of Salem or mm-hmm. Jerusalem. Um this would have been to the east of Jerusalem. So this is this is the valley between um Jerusalem and the Mount of Olives. Um if you're thinking in New Testament terms. And two kings come out to meet him, the king of Sodom and the king of Salem, Melchizedek. Um, The king of Sodom, he tells Abram, um, give me the people back. You can have everything else. But Abram says, I've taken a vow, um, and I will not take anything from you lest you you boast that you have made Abram rich. And this would have indebted Abram to the king of Sodom. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, if the king of Sodom wants something from Abram, he can say, don't you remember all the stuff I gave you? Uh, so right. Abram's not going to, he's not going to be indebted to any of these yeah. Gentile kings. Melchizedek, on the other hand, he brings out bread and wine. A lot was made of that in the early church. Uh-huh. Um, a lot of uh, allegory mm-hmm. about uh, communion. Um, right. But that's, that's not picked up by the author of Hebrews at all. He just skips over that. So it's probably, he brings out bread and wine to refresh Abram after he's gone to war. Right. So it's it's not... Probably not like a sacrifice meal. It's probably just you're hungry and thirsty. Here, I'll feed you. Um, and he blesses Abram uh, in the name of God Most High. Um, he acknowledges that God is the one who has delivered Abram's enemies into his hand. Um, and on the other side, Abram gives Melchizedek a tithe, uh, a tenth of what he has. And that's it. That's it. <laughs> that's, all, that's all we get. That's all we get from, from Melchizedek until Psalm 110, verse 4, where David, um, he's writing about a king priest, which is what Melchizedek was. Mm-hmm. Um, he writes, uh, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Mm-hmm. So David is um, thinking upon this king priest from Salem. Mm-hmm. Uh, David, who just happens to be king of Salem, mm-hmm. um, 
and he's received promises of uh, a future king. Um, he is uh, prophesying about uh, a future priest, a uh, king priest of Jerusalem, mm-hmm. who will rule in the order of Melchizedek mm-hmm. forever. So he's he's picking up on this. So you, you see, you see, and from Genesis to Psalm one hundred and ten to Hebrews, mm-hmm. um, this this interconnected story. So now Hebrews picks up on that background, mm-hmm. and of course it's mentioned in Psalm one ten, like you just said. So we'll jump into the the passage itself, and you had five ways Melchizedek points to Jesus. Number one, you said his name points to to Jesus. I think it's important for us to understand what he's doing. So the author of Hebrews, we've already seen this. He's he's shown that Jesus is greater than the angels. Mm -hmm. He's greater than Moses. He's greater than Joshua. Now he's from chapter 5 to chapter 10, he's showing how Jesus is better than the Levitical priest, and he'll get into how Jesus is better than the sacrifices. Well, because uh, that's what their <clears throat> yeah, that's the what threat is, to run back right. to the Levitical priesthood. So right. he's going to show Jesus is better than Levitical priesthood. So he's, he's showing how all of these things in the Old Testament um, are anticipating Jesus, but Jesus is the fulfillment of them. He's, uh-huh. he, this is, it's typology. Yeah. So Moses, Joshua, the priests, they're all, they're all um, types of Jesus. Jesus is the fulfillment, and he's doing the same thing with Melchizedek. So Melchizedek is a real historical figure. This, the events of Genesis 14 actually happened, but in God's sovereignty over history, these things happened exactly as God wanted them to in order to point to Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, and Moses writes under the inspiration of the Spirit exactly what God wants him to write. Mm-hmm. Um, he doesn't write one word more and he doesn't write one word less. Uh. And that's important for one of the points that he's going to make here in Hebrews chapter 7. He's, he's looking at, he, he's taking the scripture as is, and he's believing this is inspired by God. Moses wrote exactly how he was supposed to, and he's, he's actually going to take how Moses wrote this story to make one of his biggest points. All right. So the first way that Melchizedek points to Christ is his name. Yep. King That's of right. righteousness. <laughs> That's right. King of righteousness, yeah. which is what his name means. Right. It's it's his Melech, name his name consists of two Hebrew words. Melech and Zedek. 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 Yep. Righteousness. Melchizedek. Yep. King of righteousness. Mm-hmm. Yep. All right. So how does this in a way foreshadow and Christ as one who is of a order of Melchizedek, but greater. Well, you've got you've got Melchizedek, who's the king of righteousness, or he's the righteous king. And um, already in Hebrews, going back to the beginning of Hebrews chapter one, um, the author quotes from Psalm forty-five about Christ, about the Son. He says, "Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness." Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. Mm-hmm. So the Messiah is said to be this king who loves righteousness. Mm-hmm. Um, this is found in Isaiah chapter 9. It's found in um, the Psalms. Um, it's 
the the this king is that's that is anticipated in the Old Testament is a king who loves righteousness. Mm. Uh, so he's even better because Melchizedek he's he is even though he's called king of righteousness he's still just a man he's still a sinner. Jesus is the one who perfectly loves and obeys God's law. He is the one who is perfect righteousness. He's perfect obedience. He loves righteousness. But not only that, we read in Jeremiah chapter 23 that this king who's coming, he actually is going to be called the Lord is our righteousness. Yeah, yeah. Jeremiah 23, 5 through 6, Mm -hmm. um, which in the passage, speaking about all of the wicked rulers and shepherds, mm. these shepherds of Israel, but then God promises that he's going to send his prince. And it's interesting, when you look in there, it's like the text is interchangeable with God himself, and then yeah. he and then the, he mentions this here, that he's the righteous branch of David, and then he calls him, the name by which he will be called is the which, Lord, which, the which Lord is, is our righteous. Which is really interesting, that, that title branch, mm-hmm. it's used in, in Jeremiah, it's also used in Zechariah, the branch is going to come, mm-hmm. and the branch in Zechariah is this person in which the office of king and priest come together. Yeah, so a king priest mm-hmm. who's called the branch, and yeah. he he is he not only is righteousness, but we're sinners. The only way that we can be justified is not through our own works, but the Lord who is our righteousness, the branch. Uh-huh. He he is going to fulfill the law, and then we're going to be clothed in His righteousness. So He is the true king of righteousness mm-hmm. yeah. um, who gives to his people mm-hmm. righteousness. Yep. Yep. So then the second the second way he points to us is the, lo- the location. So he's the king of Salem or king of peace. Mm-hmm. So yeah, Sal- that's, that's Shalom. Salem, yes, yeah, Shalom. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like an English transliteration, I guess, of Shalom. Yeah, Salem. yeah, I guess so. Yeah, Salem, um, Jerusalem. Yeah, um, I was looking up what Jerusalem means, uh-huh. and there are a lot of different interpretations of what Jerusalem. What'd you means. find? Place of peace, like city of peace. That's the. I think that's the majority interpretation. Okay, it's the it's the city of peace. Uh. Um, place of awe. Huh. Um. Shalom doesn't just mean peace; it can also mean like completeness, uh-huh. wholeness. Um, so there's there's translations of it that kind of go along those lines. Hmm. But I th- I think place of peace or city of peace is the the traditional okay interpretation of of the name. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it's picking up Salem, um, which is where Melchizedek was king. He was king of Salem, king uh-huh. of peace. And of course, we know which as Christians, is it, which is interesting because you've got you've got all these kings, you've got nine kings that mm-hmm. are that are at war in Genesis fourteen, and you got one king who isn't. Mm-hmm. He's not listed. He he doesn't appear to have had any any role in the fight. Yeah, um, he comes out afterwards. He's the king of peace. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. It's, yeah, it's, it's he's a unique, he a unique yeah. figure. It is um, yeah. in the story. But of course, he's pointing forward to Jesus, who is the Prince of Peace. Prince of Peace, yeah. <clears throat> and Ephesians two, he is our peace, he right? Is our peace, yeah. right? Yeah, he um, he has made peace between us and God through his cross. Mm-hmm. So he's not just a peaceful king; 
he's a king who actually brings peace. Yeah. Melchizedek, he doesn't he can't bring peace. Right? He it it's not his role mm-hmm. to to bring peace between the God kings in the south and Caleamer, yeah. you know, there's there's still hostility. Mm-hmm. Um, but Jesus, he actually accomplishes true peace. Right. Peace between God and man and can bring peace between on this horizontal plane as right. well. Uh-huh. And he ultimately will. Uh, right. in total fulfillment of when the Bible, the story of history comes to its completed end. Mm-hmm. Uh, there will be nothing but peace. Um, so yeah, we'll see him as then the fulfillment of all of that. Right. The third third way Melchizedek points us to Christ you have is by his perpetuity. I just wanted and to use that word, Jay. I just wanted to use that word. You, well, you used it. <laughs> perpetuity. Um, and then you said his for, friend, his foreverness. His forever. Did you make a word up? His foreverness. His forever foreverness. Uh, yeah, that probably is a made up word. I'm sure I'm not the first person into to use that. perpetuity. Right into forever. He continues. He continues forever. Okay, you have to exp- explain this to us. Right. Um, so th- you said at this point, when you were doing your research, you found some interesting things about who is Melchizedek because even when you go to when you look at the passage here, it's it seems to be implying that he has some type of forever quality <laughs> right. to him. Yeah. Uh, the author of Hebrews does. And so you said, okay. Verse 3 is, is challenging. Is this a Christophany? Mm-hmm. That's what people think. People, And by that, what that word means is an appearance of Christ in the Old Testament. Right. So we have several of these. You know, the angel of the Lord appears, uh-huh. and then all of a sudden we see the angel of the Lord is actually Yahweh in the flesh, mm-hmm. appearing as a man talking to Abraham. Right. Um, there are several of these occurrences, yeah. and you said you don't think it is, mm-hmm. and you gave you gave four reasons why you don't think it, it is. It seems from all the commentaries I read, I didn't run across they they were in the footnotes. Um, almost every commentary I read said there are people that think this is a Christophany, and they would they cite them in the in the footnotes. Mm-hmm. But none of the none of the commentaries I had were arguing for that. Mm-hmm. Um. Even Calvin, Calvin's not arguing for Christophany. He's arguing Melchizedek is a man mm-hmm. pointing forward to Jesus. Okay, um, it. I don't know if it's a more modern interpretation to see him as a Christophany. I've run across people that are really adamant, like you're saying he's not a Christophany. Like they're offended by it. Hmm. Um, and yeah, I'm looking for Christophanies all over the place in the Old Testament, right? <laughs> Um, but I, I don't, I don't think that Melchizedek is mm-hmm. a Christophany. I think he's actually just a man. Yeah. Um, now he's a man that is, um, that God has intended to point towards Christ. He's meant to be a type, but I don't think that that doesn't mean that he has to be Christ in the Old Testament. Yeah. Um, so I, I gave four reasons. Um, the first is the language is he resembles the Son of God. Mm-hmm. Um, that that word could be translated as um, he's similar mm-hmm. or he's compared to the Son of God. Um, it it seems as if the the flow of the argument would kind of be lost if he was just saying, "Look, Melchizedek was the Son of God. Now the Son of God has come." Yeah, in the in the likeness or resembling Mel. It, it, it's really weird. I, mm-hmm. That that alone for me 
makes me kind of stop. Like, what is he arguing here? He's not he's not trying to argue that Melchizedek is the son of God. He's arguing that he resembles the son of God. Mm-hmm. Um, so just the language of that verse, um, you, you drop down Which to- Which verse in particular, if they're following verse along? Verse three. Okay. Verse three. He is without father or mother or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but resembling the son of God, mm-hmm. he continues a priest forever. Mm-hmm. Um, you drop down to verse fifteen, and and it's it's reversed um, that another priest arises in the likeness of Melchizedek. So Melchizedek resembles the Son of God. The Son of God is in the likeness of Melchizedek. Right. Um, so it goes both ways. You don't really need the the, uh, the other three reasons. I don't think. <laughs> well, <laughs> that, that I, one I, seems pretty it, good. It, I mean, it seems it seems pretty obvious that's what's going mm-hmm. on, but um, there's there's others. I think. The that, time, and that's not that's not even the one that I. I think the timeline one is pretty good too. Jesus, he has a priesthood that begins at a certain. Point. He becomes. He's yeah. designated a priest right. after the order of Melchizedek. He becomes the great high priest. Um, that that's so. Uh, that's that's pretty obvious in chapter two. It says that therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect. That's verse seventeen, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest. Mm-hmm. Um, in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. So, um, it it the argument of Hebrews is that um, Jesus, in his incarnation, being made like his brothers, and through his death, resurrection, and ascension, that's what qualifies him to be the high priest. Mm-hmm. So he he wasn't. Qu- I know it can be kind of jarring for people, so I want to make sure that. I say it in the right way. Jesus hasn't always been the high priest for his people. Mm-hmm. In his incarnation, he became the high priest. Right. And this is seen all over the place because he well, he, because symp- he, he has to sympathize with well, them. He can't he doesn't sympathize with them until his incarnation. Well, because he hasn't always been a man. He hasn't always been a man. Right. 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 The incarnation is uh, it is a singular, unique yes. event that is important. Like yeah. it's not, it's not just, it's not just a, a side doctrine. It's vitally important. If for you really want to blow office. their minds, you can tell them he hasn't always had the name Jesus either. That's right. <laughs> That's right. I've gotten in the pe- I've gotten in the fights with people over that. Too. Really? Oh yeah. It seems like an obvious one. Uh, yeah. Hey, name name him Jesus. <laughs> right. When he got his name. Yeah. Well, uh, anyway. Yeah. The things that we fight over, ah. it, it <laughs> but it, it seems like the timeline of his priesthood. It, it it's it's necessary that he actually takes upon himself humanity before he can be the high priest, and so um, he couldn't be the high priest in Genesis fourteen because he's not incarnated yet. So that that uh, that also seems to to be an argument against it. I I think the next one is. Equally as strong, Melchizedek was an established political figure. Mm-hmm. Like this is this is a real account. Genesis fourteen actually happened. Melchizedek was actually the king of a real place. Um, every other appearance of the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament is it's pretty momentary. Mm-hmm. He shows up, he delivers a message, and then he disappears. Mm-hmm. So if if Melchizedek is a Christophany, it's unique in in all of the old testament because when did he show up when did he leave how did he become the king right um there's there's a lot of questions that 
arise out of that because he actually was the king of Salem. Mm-hmm. Um, I suppose he could just show up as the angel of the Lord and they make him king immediately and he goes out to see Abraham and he goes back and he says, thanks, <laughs> right. and leaves. I don't know. Uh, it seems more likely that Melchizedek was actually a, he actually was mm-hmm. a man, um, maybe born in Salem and and his king, his father was king or I don't know. Uh, it, it just seems mm. that that's more likely. Okay. Uh, but then I think the I think the the linchpin to it is that the author of Hebrews he's reading the book of Genesis as Moses wrote it. Mm-hmm. So you, this is number four. Yeah. So he's arguing from the structure of the book of Genesis, and I think we often forget that we overlook the fact that the these authors they're not just it's not just haphazard they're not just it's not just um, stream of conscious um, writing. They have intention behind this. So the book of Genesis, it's structured around 10 Toledot statements. Toledot is the phrase, these are the genealogies of. Mm-hmm. In um, Hebrew. And you see this right. 10 times in the book of Genesis. Mm-hmm. There, before major sections, the, these are the generations of Noah or Abraham or Isaac or Jacob um, or even Esau. Esau is given a, a genealogy, a Toledot. Um, all the all the major figures of Genesis, they have a genealogy. There, we know who they where they came from. We know who their who their children are. And then there comes this one guy who appears for three verses and he disappears. He doesn't have a genealogy. Um, in a in a book that's that's structured around genealogies, this this guy who doesn't have one and seems to be an important figure as he's going to he's going to continue drawing out how important Melchizedek is he's not just like the king of Sodom also doesn't have a genealogy but he's not he's not an important figure right Melchizedek is an important figure he he's only given 3 verses but the things that happen in those 3 verses are so monumental that the author of Hebrews says this is um, this is unheard of that he doesn't have a genealogy <clears throat> right. in this book. So he's not when he says without father or mother, without genealogy, without beginning of of life or end of end of life. He's not saying that Melchizedek didn't have those things. He's saying Moses didn't write those things, mm-hmm. and so he's seeing not just what Moses writes, but what Moses doesn't write is all part of God's inspiration. Okay, that Moses's restraint is just as inspired as what Moses actually puts on the on the paper. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we need to understand Sorry, that also. He's, so he's, he's, so when we're talking about inspiration, we're talking the very words that were written were inspired by the Spirit. And if the, if the writer didn't write those things, um, they're as good as they didn't happen. Right. I see. Not yeah. not to say that they didn't happen. Not to say that Melchizedek is still wandering around somewhere or sitting in a cave somewhere. Hmm. Um, I I think he had a birthday and he died. Hmm. Um, but they're not recorded, and so there's a theological importance to Moses hmm. not writing about those things. Okay, I see. All right, um, because he is he is prefiguring Christ, who in his eternality doesn't have a beginning mm-hmm. um, and he lives forever but the main point is that Jesus's priesthood is not dependent upon 
a genealogy. I see, yeah. So the the Levitical priest, their their office, their function, it, it is connected intimately to their genealogy. They have to be able to trace their line back to Levi. Um, if they can't, um, then they can't serve as priests. We see this in Ezra and Nehemiah after they come back from from exile. There are priests that that they can't prove their lineage, and so they're barred from serving in the temple. Um, on the other hand, Jesus, his priesthood is not, it's not bound to the mm-hmm. genealogy of Levi. So right. he's he's going to keep this. This is kind of the setup for what's going to go on in the rest of chapter seven and chapter eight. That Jesus is not, um, he's not under the law. He doesn't serve as a priest under the law. Mm-hmm. Under the law, the priests have to be from Levi. And, yeah. But Jesus's priesthood is greater because it's not connected to Levi. Right. His his priesthood, as it says in verse uh, 16, it's not on the basis of a legal requirement concerning bodily descent, his genealogy, right. but it's based on the power of an indestructible life. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's... Melchizedek doesn't have a genealogy recorded, um, he it's like he lives forever. Jesus, he actually does live forever. Yeah, he, he actually does have an indestructible life. I, interesting. I didn't bring this up because I we might get into it. I, 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 I didn't want to. It already was kind of packed and kind of heady, and I didn't want to bring in Greek, mm-hmm. Greek into it. But um, when it says that Melchizedek continues a priest forever. It's di- it's different words than um, over in uh, chapter seven verse twenty four where it says Jesus continues mm-hmm. forever. It's different language. Mm-hmm. So it in verse three it could be translated literally as he continues a priest without interruption. Um, Jesus, when it says he continues forever, it actually means unto the ages. I see. So it, it, even the Greek language is different. Mm. Okay. Um, it just. It, it it just is kind of masked behind English, but the Greek the Greek words are different. Um, so I think there's I think there's uh, something there. Okay, let's get into this fourth way. Fourth way that he points us forward to Jesus is by the honor he received, and it is interesting to think through this. Think about it that Abraham pays a tithe to this king. Yeah, there's no commands to tithe yet. Mm-hmm. Um. And Abraham gives a tenth of everything that he has to this priest king. Right. We aren't really told why he did it, uh, but I think what you're able to pick up on is the one who receives the receives the tithe mm-hmm. would be the person who is of higher honor. Right. Yeah. Um, Which is crazy to think about because right. it's Abraham. Yeah, it's Abraham. And Abraham is like <laughs> right. the the dude. He's called the patriarch I here. mean, he is He is like, it's like Moses and, and Abraham, who's the greater? I don't know. I mean, theological <laughs> right. debates right. and wars, but like he's the guy. Mm-hmm. It's Abraham. We have Abraham as our father. This is what they say in the New Testament. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's paying He's the father. He's called a prophet. He's called the friend of God. Mm-hmm. Um, all of these titles they exalt. We would Abraham. think Melchizedek should pay tithes to Abraham, right? But it, that goes the other way. Yeah. Um, one commentator brought it out that Abraham, by doing this, he essentially makes Melchizedek his priest. Mm. Um, 
he recognizes and again we don't have all the we don't have all the details um does does abraham know who melchizedek is maybe i i don't know um but he recognizes that melchizedek is a priest to the same god that that abram worships uh-huh. um and so he pays a tithe to him essentially saying you're my priest mm. uh, which is that's pretty mind-boggling <laughs> i mean it's again these three verses that people probably have never really gave much thought to um have such massive theological implications for the author of hebrews and his his interpretation of this passage is inspired mm-hmm. so he's giving the correct interpretation to the story right um any 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 interpretation of the story that contradicts what the author of Hebrews is saying is wrong. Right. Um, so he is paying a tithe to Abram, um, and this is the lesser giving to the to the greater. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, if Abraham the patriarch is paying a tithe to Melchizedek, mm-hmm. and Levi comes from Abraham, then Melchizedek, by extension, is greater than, than the Levitical Levi. priesthood. That's the whole argument. Yeah, because he—that's what he gets into. The oh, he was in Abraham's loins, uh-huh. and so Levi paid ties right. to him too. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. that's the argument. Um, and if this—if this is what is paid—and he, he talks about how the the uh, the descendants of Levi receive a tithe mm-hmm. from their brothers um, because the law commands them to. Mm-hmm. The the Levites didn't receive an inheritance. They didn't receive land. They received the tithe. So the the people of Israel, even though they're all they're all related to Abraham, Levi has been given that honor of serving as priest, and so they receive a tenth from the the people of Israel. Mm. If this is what Levi, the, the Levitical priest, deserve, then Melchizedek, um, his the priest that comes in the order of Melchizedek, he deserves what? Even greater, even greater honor, mm-hmm. right? Um, he he doesn't just deserve a tenth; he deserves everything. He he deserves your obedience, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Uh, and then, lastly, you have the the fifth reason or the fifth way Melchizedek points forward to Christ is in the blessing that he confers. So this is kind of the reversal of the tithe. Like who who right. is the one blessing? Can you go back in the Old Testament? You know, people are fighting for their dad's blessing. Like, give me a blessing. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? And we're like, what, what in the world? Mm-hmm. What is this stuff? Right. Uh, put your hand on my thigh. <laughs> give my blessing. <laughs> uh, and we're like, oh. But yeah. the, the whole idea is the person who blesses another, that person giving the blessing uh-huh. is the greater person. Right. Right. Um, and you see this with uh, the Levitical priests were commanded to give a blessing. Mm-hmm. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. They they were commanded to give a blessing from the Lord to the people of Israel. Melchizedek, he gives a blessing from the Lord to Abraham. Mm-hmm. Um, he serve, Again, he's serving as Abram's priest, uh, the mediator between God and Abram. Uh, Melchizedek is essentially blessing the one who has the promises and praying that God would do what he has promised to Abram. Yeah, and he says, it is beyond dispute that the <laughs> right. inferior is blessed by the superior. Right. Verse yeah, he, yeah he's, he's drawing upon cultural, um, like, we, we don't quite get this. Mm-hmm. I mean, 
someone sneezes and you say, bless you. Right. <laughs> like, that's not, we're not saying anything about the superiority of the person blessing the sneezer. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's bringing out, um, he's, he's bringing out the cultural um, aspects. I mean, in the Jewish culture, whenever the, the patriarch or the elder walked into the room, the younger people were supposed to stand up. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, it's, um, this is, this is part of Jesus's question to the religious leaders in Psalm 110. Mm-hmm. When he's, he's asking whose, whose son is the Messiah? Well, he's David's son. Well, then how can David call him Lord? Right. Because that's unthinkable, right? right. The, the father doesn't call the, his son Lord because the son gives honor to the father because he's the superior one. Mm-hmm. Um, Abraham is considered superior to all of the other Jews, or mm-hmm. all the other Israelites, because he's the father. Mm-hmm. Right? He's, he, he's given honor. And here we have Melchizedek, greater, who is greater. Mm. And he, he shows it by he receives a tithe and he also gives a blessing. And so then the, the, I think the, we, understanding that now, we can see easily the point that is being made mm-hmm. that here is Jesus who is after the order of Melchizedek, but is even greater than even Melchizedek. Right. right. And greater than Abraham and greater than everyone. Mm-hmm. And therefore, he is the one who is actually right. deserving of most honor. Right. That's, that is the point of these 10 verses. Mm-hmm. Now, he's going to expand upon this as he goes. Through chapter seven and chapter eight, he's going to expand upon the fact that Jesus is superior, but he's got to set it up because he's he introduced Melchizedek um, in chapter five. Then he had to to make that um, kind of sidebar because he said this is difficult to. Yeah, you to guys explore. aren't ready for this. You're not ready because you can become dull of hearing. He warns them against this. Um, he encourages them to hold on to the hope that they have in Christ. And then he comes back to it. So, so th- he circles back around to it. And so this is the this is the introduction to everything else he's going to say about Jesus and Melchizedek. Um, but we'll have to wait for a while to right. get to it. All right. So let's try to wrap it up with some application. Because it is, we were talking about it before that this is one of these texts that are very heavy exp- an explanation, and you did right. a great job explaining it all. So the whole point the author of Hebrews is driving at, this whole thing with the warning passage and everything, he's like, hey, I'm about to drop some Melchizedek truth on you, but you're not ready for that because you, you <laughs> yeah. know what? You've been lazy, and and and, uh, and then he gives this great warning. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then he says, but I think better things of you because I've seen it. Right. So now I am going to tell you about Melchizedek. Right. He is, so here's he's, my whole he's case. Not, he's not... So I think that a lot of modern-day evangelicals, they think this is difficult. Melchizedek, this this is hard stuff, and so they pull back, right? And they say, "Well, you're not ready for it. Let's talk about how you can defeat your giants, right? <laughs> right. Be be a Daniel, you right. know, dare to be a Daniel." Um, but uh, instead, he pushes forward. He he's going to challenge them to go on to maturity, uh-huh. and I think that that is an important reminder for us that. Um, the difficult things in Scripture are not an excuse for us to be lazy. For him, yeah. for the author here, he's saying that these difficult things are actually reason for you to grow in maturity, yeah. to move yeah. past a shallow, mm-hmm. shallow faith. And the whole rhetorical uh, point of all of it is that, remember, if you're listening, the people uh, 
these people are thinking about leaving the Christian faith and going back to Judaism mm-hmm. because it's easier. Right. The culture is changing. They're in the midst of cultural turmoil, so they have not only pressure from their Jewish relatives, they may have lost family and uh, prestige and yeah. maybe even jobs because they're now Christians. The Roman Empire, Christianity is illegal. It's not an authorized religion. Um Judaism is. Judaism is an authorized religion. So they can, in their mind, they're grappling, okay, I've believed this about Jesus, and I've made this profession of faith, but it's costing me my life. It's cost me my family. It's cost me my friends. I'm suffering. But look, uh, maybe they even have seen some people go back. They've gone back to to the priesthood. They go back to temple. You know, they they pay their tithes to the Levitical priesthood. They offer animal sacrifices, and they're saying they have reconciliation with God. Mm-hmm. Well, why can't I just go back? Right. And so then he says, "All right, I'm going to tell you about Jesus. That he is from the Melchizedekian order, and he's greater." I've got you saying it now. There you go. <laughs> he's better than all of the priesthood of Levi. Right. He's going to get into a sacrifice here in a little mm-hmm. bit, right? Yeah. But for the here, he says, "Okay, you want to talk about priests? Let's talk about priests. He is." the pinnacle of where all these priests pointed, mm-hmm. and I'm going to bring up this this figure you haven't thought about too much, Melchizedek, who's actually greater than Levi, to show you that. Mm-hmm. So now showing you that, the hope is you're not going to leave. So he's, he's kind of uh, arguing from the lesser to the greater. Mm-hmm. So he's arguing from Melchizedek. He's, he's showing Melchizedek is greater than the Levitical priests. Uh-huh. And now Jesus, who is after the order of Melchizedek, he's even greater yeah, and it's just like this nuclear bomb that he's mm-hmm. he's dropping on them. So, so like even so, the the scriptures he's he's showing the scriptures themselves, going all the way back to Genesis fourteen, have been anticipating a priest that's not a Levite. Mm-hmm. Like they 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 were already anticipating this this future priest to come. Right. Um. There were different strands of what that looked like. Some thought that there were two messiahs, there's a king and there's a priest. Some were understanding that they're somehow they're going to be, you know, melded together. There there was different ideas of what that was going to look like. But the the point is that the scriptures themselves have always been anticipating something greater. Mm-hmm. Um you, you have to deal with the this is why I I encourage people to read their bible from Genesis to Revelation. Don't jump around because the the chronology is important. Yeah. So this priest comes chronologically before the Mosaic Law. Mm-hmm. So he's outside of it. Right. Um, and if he's outside of it, then all of the things that are applied in the Mosaic Law to the priest, they don't apply to him. Mm-hmm. Um, and if he's blessing Abraham and Abraham's paying him him a tithe and he's acting like a priest to the father, right? The, to the patriarch then he is superior. Uh-huh. He's superior not only to Abraham, but to the Levitical priest. Uh-huh. And then as the prophets are picking up on this this priest that's going to come, who's the Messiah, he's the branch, um, he has to, if, if this is what Melchizedek is, then the one who is the fulfillment of uh-huh. Melchizedek, he has to be greater. Right. He, he can't be less than Melchizedek. He's got to be more. Right. So stay. Don't. Yeah, so, stay. Yeah. Now how do so how do we apply this one great truth I think today? That's mm. the question. People say, "Okay, this is a great lesson for a Jew that's let's right. talk, <laughs> thinking about apostatizing, yeah, and leaving Jesus behind to go back to the Levitical priesthood and become a Jew again." Yeah. 
Um, which that it made me think of an interesting story. One time I was in a, I was in a mall in Kansas City. Is that one of those little pup pup places? And I was standing there waiting for An- uh, Angie and the kids. And this young girl, she's like a high school girl. She's like, she she like worked the place. She's like, hey, do you want to do you want to while you're waiting play pup pup or whatever? I was like, no, but do you want to hear about Jesus? <laughs> that's that's the stage I was in, right? <laughs> so I went all in on it. She's like, "But I'm a Jew." That's quite the uh, that's quite the segue that you right. have there. I like that, Jay. <laughs> I'll trade you a putt putt for a Jesus talk. How about that? Yeah. Okay. And uh, so she's like, "But I'm a Jew," and I'm like, "No, no." So just real quick, I showed her. I was like, "Now you'll be a true Jew." Mm-hmm. She was like, and so she readily was ready to become a Christian. I was really shocked. Okay. Um, but then she's like, "But what happens when I go home?" Mm. And that's how these people are. Right. Because when I go home. Uh huh. Right. And I'm like, so I don't know what happened to her, you know, when mm-hmm. she went home. Yeah. Uh, that's the battle for the Lord, I guess. But this, yeah, this. So, but, but we aren't Jews, but there's still this temptation. Mm-hmm. The culture, I think, is, is uh, very, it's changing very quickly. We've talked about it before. Uh, there's a lot of pressure on our children, even on adults at work, with friends, with family. So many people are, if they're not outright leaving Christianity, they're adopting a worldly form of it. Mm. They're leaving their priest. Right. They're, they're leaving their high priest. Mm. And I think what the t- a text like this does is just reminds us of the superiority, how awesome Christ is, and that he is worth clinging on to. Yeah, so we were talking about this before we recorded. This was a hard this was a hard passage to get into application because there really is only one point. Mm-hmm. Um, and even as I was getting ready for church um, yesterday and I was thinking through this, I, I was struggling with the fact I think that I think that this sermon engages the mind, but I don't know how well it affects the heart. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I was trying to do at the at the end of the sermon is impress upon people this is who Jesus is. Like before you're going to treasure him, you have to have an accurate assessment uh, uh-huh. of who he is. Right. You have to have a clear vision of who he is. He is the King of Righteousness. He is the King of Peace. Um, his priesthood is superior because it's not based upon any legal requirements. It's based upon an indestructible life. Um, he deserves all of the honor, and those who are in Christ receive true blessedness, mm-hmm. more more even than Abraham mm. um, receives from Melchizedek. You think of um, the Beatitudes, like, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Mm-hmm. Well, where are you going to get your righteousness from? You're going to get it from the King of Righteousness, mm-hmm. right? Um, Jesus, even in, in Luke 24, at the end of Luke's gospel, he goes out to the east of Jerusalem, the King's Valley, mm-hmm. he lifts up his hands and he blesses the disciples. Mm-hmm. He is the he is the true and better Melchizedek. You gotta have this, mm-hmm. you gotta have this this vision of him because it's the same with everything else. We hear these things over and over and over again, and often it just kind of gets lost. Mm-hmm. Um, we need to constantly be coming back and beholding who Christ is. Mm-hmm. And as we behold him, we see that he is this great treasure worth worth losing everything for. Right. Um, when you go home, it's it's worth it because mm-hmm. 
he is the he is the the true priest. He uh-huh. is the one that um, is greater than Melchizedek. He's the one that um, he he will give you these things uh-huh. um, in a greater sense. So we we just constantly need to be reminded of that. Yeah, that's good. And and keep getting a, a picture of who Jesus is. All right, good stuff. Well, this will be I think the last uh, text driven Tuesday for a while. Yep. So. Um, We'll return in August, August with Ecclesiastes, and we'll probably have some Free Fall Fridays in there mixed in this summer, but we're going to slow down a little bit, so we'll, we probably won't take a full break. Yeah. We'll see how it goes, but it's thanks. Too, too expensive to go on vacation, Jay. <laughs> yeah. Where am I going to go? <laughs> <laughs> thanks for listening, and uh, thanks, George, for going through Hebrews. We'll be back at it this fall, picking up Hebrews, where you left off here. Um, hopefully this has been beneficial to you it's our hope and desire it's it's helped you to become more conformed to Christ as you've been going through Hebrews learning about Christ as better Um, and this is an interesting lesson on Melchizedek so if if it's been beneficial please like, subscribe, or share maybe write us a review and come back next time for Free For All Friday see you then